may be seated. I want to encourage you to turn to Matthew 6. If you've got a paper Bible, a, a digital Bible, find your place there in Matthew 6, where we'll be this morning. And I want to take a moment to wish all of you a happy New Year's Eve and uh, welcome you to our services. And of course, if it's New Year's Eve, that means uh, whether it's in your own mind, in your own heart, or maybe on the internet, it's time for people to start talking about New Year's resolutions, right? That's always what people are talking about around this time of year. Some of y'all, you've probably moved past that and you're sick of New Year's resolutions. Maybe some of you have business goals for the upcoming year. You have personal goals for the upcoming year. Whatever the case may be, um, I did some looking on what are the top three New Year's resolutions each year. And they're always the same. And here's the top three. Number one, and you all probably could guess this, the number one New Year's resolution that people make has to do with physical fitness, right? Lose a few inches, lose a few pounds, eat a little healthier, exercise a little bit more. The second most often made New Year's resolution has to do with personal finances. People are looking to get out of debt, save more for retirement, waste less money on silly things. Someone could say amen to that. Number three, uh, and this is probably newer and a rising category in the New Year's resolution ranks, is more often now people are hoping to improve their mental health. Now generally, as a pastor, when it comes to the New Year's, I try to set aside, at least on the first Sunday of the year, and we often do a Sunday school series once a year on personal spiritual disciplines, Bible reading, prayer, Fasting, that's the, that's the black sheep of the Baptist disciplines, right? No one wants to talk about that one. But we talk about personal spiritual disciplines because really the truth of the matter is those are really important to you uh, if you want to grow in your walk with the Lord. And certainly I felt uh, uh, being compelled to preach on that. But I'm not going to do that this morning. But I would encourage you, if you want to grow in your personal spiritual disciplines, on our website you can find a sermon series, a lesson series I did called Habits. And uh, it's about nine different spiritual disciplines I covered there. And I'd be happy to give you resources if you want to be a better, more regular Bible reader or prayer this year. Our church would be happy to give you a free resource for that. But instead this morning, I don't want to talk about the usual resolutions. I want to talk to you about what I would call an unusual resolution. It's not the one that probably makes its way into the top three list on the New York Times article about resolutions. It's not the one that you're thinking about because when you look in the mirror every morning, you don't see the need for this resolution probably. But I think that this resolution, if you could make it and you could stick to it in your life, it could fundamentally change every single person in here. Here's the unusual resolution I want to challenge you as a church to make this year. I want to challenge you to make a resolution to stop worrying about things you can't control. I want you to resolve in your heart in 2024 to stop worrying about things you cannot control. And I think all of us would recognize we all struggle with that. My hand's way up high. We all worry about things we cannot control. There's some messages that I worry, you know, how applicable is it going to be to everybody? Not worried about that this morning. 
We all struggle with this very thing. Some of us maybe more than others. Some of us express our worry differently than others do. But all of us, from time to time, we let things we cannot control occupy mental space and cause stress and worry and anxiety in our lives. We worry about a lot of things. We worry about whether or not we can afford clothing, whether we'll have enough money in the bank, whether our retirement will hold up as we get closer to that deadline. Maybe some of us are worried in an election year what state the economy will be in. We worry about our health, don't we? A lot of different things. Will that previous health issue I dealt with five years ago that I have to get an annual checkup on pop up again? Do I have a sickness right now that I don't even know about? What is causing these symptoms I'm dealing with? What about the concerns that the doctor expressed about my kid? How is that going to mature? How is that going to progress? What will that lead to? We worry about our future, don't we? We worry, will my industry still have a job for me? We worry, will I experience success where I'm at? We worry, will I be able to finish that degree? All of us probably have an automobile, and those are great, but they also bring a lot of worries. When's that transmission gonna give out unexpectedly? How long can I make those tires last. All of us on a weekly basis, we say, how long can I make that tank of gas last? How am I going to be able to afford a car? Because I know this car is on its way out. I mean, after all, the automobile prices now are crazy. What does that check engine light that I just got this last week mean? We worry about our kids or our grandkids, don't we? Or great-grandkids for some of you. We worry if they'll make good choices. We worry if they'll be safe from a world that seems and probably is more dangerous than when we grew up. We worry if they will still have a relationship with us after they move away from home. Some of us, we worry about having purpose in the world. We worry about acceptance from people, whether or not that person will like us. What I want you to do this morning that might help you get a little bit more out of the message, I want to challenge you right now to take the worry that occupies the most space in your mind and write it down. Verbalize it. Type it on your notes app on your phone. Write it on your church bulletin. Stick it in your mind because this morning, God's word has something to say about your worries. God's word can help you with your worries. And I wanna, I wanna give you some hope this morning because if you can deal with this resolution, it can bring a lot of positive effects in your life. It can help your life probably more than even working out regularly would. They say that worry uselessly uses massive amounts of energy. Maybe some of you are perennially tired because you're constant worriers. They say that our brain weighs about 2% of our body weight, but our brain uses about 20% of our energy. We know this, that worry is not just frustrating and takes up mental space, but worry causes major health issues, 
There are so many different stress-related health issues that we encounter. We all deal with, if we're worriers, sleep issues, stomach issues, heart issues, anxiety, depression, all of those things, one of their primary causes is worry and stress. In our passage today in Matthew 6, Jesus is going to show us that his disciples should not worry about things they cannot control. And if you're here this morning, you might say, well, my worry is so serious that it justifies me worrying about it. I have a hard truth for you to accept this morning. Jesus is not talking about little worries in this passage. He is speaking to his disciples about worrying about the basic necessities of life as to whether you will eat, have clothes, or have a place to live. And Jesus says that even those major needs don't warrant anxiety, stress, or worry. Our passage breaks down to two major sections in Matthew 6. The first part of the passage, I'm going to frame it this way. Jesus gives you and me three worry-crushing questions. Jesus, unlike maybe a lot of other times he teaches, he's going to use rhetorical questions to get us to think about our worry. That's why I want you to write your worries down. Because I want you to run your worry through the filter of these three worry-crushing questions. He's going to give us three of them. And then the passage is going to conclude with two conclusions, two actions that you and I need to do based on the reality that we should not worry about the basic necessities of life. He's going to give us two conclusions, both that are marked by the word therefore in our passage. I want you to read with me in Matthew 6. We're going to start in verse 25. And I want us to read the whole passage so we get a sense of the whole. And I want us to go into the individual parts here in a moment. Matthew 6, verse 25, we'll read down to verse 34, perhaps one of Jesus' most profound and famous teachings in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says this in verse 25, Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought or have no anxiety for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold, the fowls of the air, they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto a stature? That's 18 inches. And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast in the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. These are the words of the Lord. The main point in this passage is labeled right up front. Look back at verse 25. Jesus gives his main idea. Take no thought. Have no anxieties or worries for your life, for what you will eat, for what you will drink, or the clothes that you will put on your body. Now, you and I, when we think about worry, if there's any place worry would be justified, it would be if we were worried that we would have food to eat today. Am I right? I don't know about you. God's blessed us enough where I've never worried if I'll have food that day. Um, Maybe some of you have, but I'm just telling you, if that was how poor my family was, worry would be pretty, pretty tempting, wouldn't it? But yet Jesus, speaking to people who are in a much poorer society than we live in, I mean, first century society was not nearly as wealthy as we live in 21st century America. I'm not saying all of us are wealthy. I'm just saying that the standard of living was way, way worse. You quite literally, there's a reason Jesus said, pray to the Father, give us this day our daily bread, because there were people who were worried that day that they wouldn't eat. And yet Jesus says to this type of people, who had those type of worries, that anxiety and stress over the basic necessities has no place in the life of a follower of Jesus. And he tries to help us see how unnecessary, how foolish worry is if we have the Father in heaven as our Father by giving us these three worry-crushing questions. Here's the first one he gives in verse 25. Why don't you write these down? He asks us this. Would the greatest giver suddenly stop giving? Would the greatest giver suddenly stop giving? Do you see that first question mark at the end of verse number 25? He asks his disciples, is not the life more than meat? Isn't your body more valuable than clothing? Isn't your life itself more valuable than the food you need to sustain your life? Here's what Jesus is doing. He's helping us to see and and consider and ask ourselves this question. Who is it that gave us life? Who is it that gave us the very body that we're worried about putting clothes on? Well, the answer is obvious, right? Who gave us that body? Who gave us our life? The life that we have is a direct gift from our heavenly father, is it not? He is the one who brought you into existence. Many of you have had children. You know that pregnancies are fraught with complications. There's all sorts of ways that it can go wrong. And though there's some human elements that lead to pregnancy, we know this, that every successful pregnancy is a gift from God. It's a gift from God. Life itself is a gift. It was the very first thing your heavenly father gave you. He gave you life and he gave you your own body. Now, some of us think, well, maybe I wish that body, that body was a little bit different, but God gave it to you nonetheless. And here's what Jesus is asking us to consider. God gave us the biggest gift, life. 
The thing that nobody could give you. Not even a doctor can figure that one out. Nobody can create life. He gave us our body. And he says, don't you think that a God who gave you your very life, wouldn't he just keep giving you the things that you need to sustain that life? If your God gave you your body, why would he give you a body and then be so selfish not to provide you the things to take care of that body? Some of you just obviously went through family Christmas and you can imagine if there's a parent that maybe for Christmas bought their kid the one Christmas gift that parents know is not really a gift, it's more of a tax, and that is a family pet, right? You give your kid a family pet, it's not the kid's responsibility. At the end of the day, who's taking care of that stinking pet? The parent, right? You gotta buy the food. You gotta make sure that the stuff in the yard gets cleaned up, right? Because the kids, at the end of the day, they may not be responsible enough to take care of that. But can you imagine if a parent would give their kid a cute little puppy on Christmas? And there's a couple hours going by. It's like, this dog seems a little bit hungry. And your kid says, mom, did you get any dog food? No. Why would I give you a puppy and then give you food for it? Well, that's what God is saying here. Why would I give you life? If I have given you the greatest gifts, why would I suddenly, if I've given you the biggest gifts you could possibly get, why would I not take care of the little things that are necessary to sustain the bigger things that I've given you? And we know this, that not only has God given us the greatest gifts of life itself, but the Bible is really clear that God has given us an even greater gift that is even less anticipated, and that is that God has sent his son Jesus to be the sacrifice for our sins to purchase eternal life for us. That's the biggest gift of all. And Romans 8.32 says it this way. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He's the greatest giver known to mankind. Not only did he give you life in your body, but he saw your need of your sins. He saw the predicament your own sins put you in, that your sins would land you in eternal judgment. And that God, without you asking for it, without you praying for it, without humanity seeking for it, from eternity past, he declared a plan in which his son would come and die on a cross and be the substitute for the death penalty you deserved to purchase the payment for your sins so that you could live with him in heaven, even though you weren't seeking after him on your own record. That, my friend, that's a pretty big gift, right? And here's what Romans 8 says. If God would give that big of a gift, don't you think he might take care of some of the other things you're worried about? Do you really think the best giver known to mankind is gonna have an oopsie when it comes to your bank account balance at the end of January? Do you really think, this is what you're saying, that if I gave you life itself, that I'm not gonna take care of the things that sustain your life. See, our God is the type of God that finishes a job. Everything that God starts, he finishes. If God gave you a body, he will care about the ailments that are threatening your body. 
If God gave you children, he will have a vested interest more so than you have in the future and in the life of those children. Our God is the greatest giver. Why would he stop suddenly giving good gifts? Let's give God some credit before we worry. Here's a second worry-crushing question. Jesus asks us to consider this. Aren't you more valuable than the creatures who never have worries? Aren't you more valuable than the creatures who never have worries? And he gives us two creatures, two of his created living things that illustrate worries about two different types of needs. He talks about birds and the worry about food. And he talks about flowers and the worry about clothing. Verse 26, he basically, he's teaching outdoors and I can just imagine Jesus says, hey, why don't you look at that bird up there? We've had a, a bird fly into our auditorium one time. I'm glad, you know, this would have been the only sermon that this would have been appropriate, but I'm glad it's not today that a bird's in our auditorium. But here's what Jesus says. He says, look at that bird. He says, I wonder if that bird woke up this morning worried about the population of bugs that it was going to eat. I wonder if that bird, when it got out of the nest today and it was trying to pad the nest a little better, if it was worried about the population of twigs, to kind of pad the nest. It says, I mean, these birds, they, they don't, they don't uh, plow the fields. They don't reap a harvest. They don't need to store up their grain for the next year. That's what verse number 26 says. They don't gather into barns. He's not saying birds don't work. We know that birds work. He says, listen, there's not a single bird on planet earth that woke up this morning worried about food. It did the necessary work to get its food, but it never worried about it. And every single one of them got a meal today. Don't you think if God feeds a bunch of birds that keep sneaking into your church, he might feed you? Then he talks about the lilies. This one's my favorite. Look at verse 28, he says, consider the lilies of the field. In verse 29, he says that these flowers, they would be wildflowers. You, these are not in a garden, like lilies that you would buy at Dylan's for way too much money, right? Because you gotta give the obligatory Valentine's Day gift or something like that. No, he's talking about wildflowers. They're like weeds practically, but they just happen to have a flower on top. That's the flower Jesus is talking about. And in their day, it was a, it was a beautiful orange flower, this, this wildflower that would grow on the hillsides of Judea. And Jesus says, look at these flowers. Those are pretty beautiful flowers, aren't they? And he basically says in verse 29, tell me, did these flowers sit at a weaver's beam? To get all dressed up nice today? Do they go out and they weave together their beautiful flower petals? And yet, though they didn't put in any effort to clothe themselves, he says the beauty of those flowers is greater than the clothing of the most rich king in Israel's history, Solomon. He says those lilies have beauty that surpasses the most richly decked out king in Israel's history. And those of us here, we know if you ever go out on the hillside or go up in the mountains or heck, I mean, I'm from, I'm from Tucson, Arizona and the desert's even beautiful. There's something spectacular about natural beauty, isn't there? There's something spectacular about it. I mean, I don't think this is a surprise to you. If I had a choice between a fashion show and a nature uh, observation tour, I think I would go for the second one, right? 
Uh, that, that's way cooler to me than, you know, the most beautiful clothes that the fashion designers can make up. And that's what Jesus is saying. He says, this flower that did nothing to make itself beautiful, my father's the one who made it beautiful, has the most beautiful clothing that surpasses the highest fashion in all the land. And you're worried about clothes? That's a flower, y'all. I don't know if Jesus said y'all, but you know what I mean, right? He says, that's a flower. He says, in fact, he says, that flower, those, that weed out in the field, it's what the bakers would use for kindling for their ovens. So he says, it looks beautiful today, but you and I both know the baker's gonna come out here. He needs to start his fire up tomorrow morning. So he's gonna find some, some wildflowers and throw them in there because they catch fire really easy. And yet God makes that thing that lasts a whole couple days more beautiful than the highest fashion in all of Israel. Jesus asks us this. If God takes care of the necessities of lower creatures, that's what Psalm 8 says, that yes, man is not worthy of God's glory, but man was made a little lower than the angels. He, man, in God's eyes, is his highest created being. He says, if God's gonna take care of this bird and this flower, don't you think God will take care of you? There's a lot of difference between a bird and a human, isn't there? We could say this morning that God, if we are a disciple of Christ, is our father. No bird can say God is their father. Humans are made, the Bible says, in the image of God. Think of that one for the afternoon. I don't know exactly all that that means, but it does mean that we have a special prized value as his creation because we are made in a reflection of him in some way, and yet birds are not made in the image of God. Lilies are not made in the image of God. You and I, we all have something that is eternal. It will last forever. We have a soul that you may die, but you have a part of you that lives on forever, and yet lilies, they're thrown in the oven. They don't have a soul that lives on. God, it says, has commended his love toward you from eternity past. In the very beginning of creation, be, before you can even think about where the beginning was, God was thinking about you. He was thinking about your needs. He was thinking about sending his son to save you. And yet we can never say that God felt that type of affection for birds or lilies. And Jesus asks us to think about this. If God has managed to properly care for the organic life on this earth for a very, very long time. Don't you think God's gonna take care of you? Don't you think that the stuff that stresses you out right now, maybe there's a chance God's got it handled? Maybe. God has managed for however many years of human history to make sure there is not an earth-destroying drought. God has managed that there was not some crazy weather event that totally destroyed the earth. And, and here's what Jesus is asking us to think. If God can make sure that everything is held in balance and everything is sustained, and yet even in that, these birds are fed and these lilies are beautiful, don't you think God will take care of you because you have way more value than these creatures who don't have a single care or worry in their life. And here's the third question, maybe my favorite. Does worry accomplish anything? Does worry accomplish anything? I love verse 27, look at it. 
you, if you think Jesus wasn't sarcastic, you haven't read your Bible now. Jesus essentially says in verse 27, can someone tell me in this crowd if any of you have worried yourselves into a growth spurt? Anyone, anyone out here who was a short kid in class growing up? Anyone who's a short kid in class? Believe it or not, Shelby is the short kid in class now. She was the tall kid in class growing up. I was the short kid in class. Anyone else who's the short kid? None of you? Or you just don't want to participate? Okay, fair enough. Well, think in your heart if you were the short kid, if you don't want to admit it. You know, as a short kid, it's really frustrating, isn't it? It's like, man, when am I going to grow up and be a big kid like the rest of them, right? Some of you guys are in gym class, you're like, when am I going to get that armpit hair that this other super hairy seventh grader has, right? That was me. And Jesus says, how many of y'all, because of your worry, you had a major growth spurt? You ever gotten taller because you worried about it? Some say that maybe Jesus is saying here in verse 27 is not talking about our height, but our length of life. So maybe Jesus is saying in a more metaphorical sense, hey, have any of you ever worried yourselves into the ripe old age of 107? You ever worried so much that your life got longer? Maybe we could ask ourselves this question about other things that we would rightfully be concerned about. Parents, has your worry ever brought your child back to the Lord? Has worrying ever changed your boss's opinion of you? Has worrying brought down your property taxes? Well, we all know the answer to that one, don't we? I wonder if any of you, Jesus would say something like this. Have you you've ever seen a miracle happen in the life of someone else that you're concerned about? God healed them in a way they were maybe on their way to death and God took care of them and healed them or someone uh, was blessed financially in a way that is unexplainable. I wonder if there's anyone in here, Jesus says, that when you saw that miracle happen, you proclaimed something like this, hallelujah. And you told your friend, you know, I think I know why God did this. It's because of my constant worrying. I wonder if any of you in here have been congratulated for your accomplishments that didn't make sense in human logic. God blessed your business more than you thought he would. God gave you a raise more than you thought he should. God gave you more kids than you thought you could have. And when someone looks at you and says, hey, I wonder how you've been able to pull this off. I wonder if there's anyone here who said something like this. You know what the secret to success is in my job. You know why I've been so successful? It's been my constant worrying and anxiety. Hey, you want to really know how my kids have turned out really good and my, all my kids are in church and I know that that's kind of a rarity in our day? I wonder if there's any grandparents here. There's, there's several families here. I admire you for your kids still being in church. I've asked a couple of you, how, how'd your kids turn out so well? I've never heard a saint say this. You know, Pastor Mike, the reason all my kids are still in church and serving the Lord is because I worried every single night. I worried myself to sickness. None of us say that. Do we? Why? Because worry accomplishes nothing at all. In fact, I would make this case. Worry not only does it not accomplish anything, worry is proven to have negative effects on us. Worry has negative health effects. Worry drains your energy. Worry clouds your judgment. Worry makes you less productive. Worry harms your relationships. How many of us would agree this morning that worry is a big, fat waste of time? 
It's a big fat waste of time. This morning, if you've got a worry in your heart, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm actually just being as sarcastic as Jesus was. Ask yourself, what on earth are you accomplishing by worrying about that? Do tell. What productive effect have you ever seen from worry? Well, the clear answer is nothing, right? So Jesus says, stop worrying about things you can't control. And then our text gives us two conclusions. I told you that there's two conclusions marked by the word therefore in our passage. Here's the first one. The first thing you and I do instead of worrying is here's the first conclusion. Honor God with your today. Honor God with your today. Look at verse 31. He says, therefore, take no thought. Okay, don't worry. And then he finishes his thought in verse 33. Take no thought, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. He says, rather than worrying about tomorrow's troubles, rather than worrying about things you cannot control that are in the future that you cannot predict, Jesus says, seek God today. Honor God with your today. Today, instead of worrying about tomorrow, why don't you focus on honoring God the best you can with today? Seek first the kingdom of God. Take the present energy in your life that you are spending on worrying about things you can't control, and we all know that uses energy, right? And instead, I want to challenge you this morning to take the same energy you're pouring into your worries and your fretting and whatever synonym you would like to use to try and excuse yourself from this message. Take all the energy you're pouring into that and find a way to take that ball of energy and invest it into seeking and honoring God with your today. You know, frankly, there's a lot of things we worry about that we would never worry about if instead of worrying, we just did something productive and honoring to God with that energy. That's why I don't think this passage is, is endorsing irresponsibility. This is not a sermon against planning ahead. Y'all know I plan ahead. This is not a sermon against preparation. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying you can't touch your calendar if it's a week out. That's what he's saying. But what he's saying is that today you do the things that can honor God today. So instead of worrying about your health tomorrow, why don't you today be a good steward of your body's health? Instead of worrying about your money, why don't you today honor God by setting a budget? If you honor God with today, instead of worrying about tomorrow, here's where some of you need to take that habit of worry, which is a mental exercise. Instead, rechannel that energy into a habit of prayer. Start worrying, just start praying. And you know, worrying doesn't accomplish anything, but how many of y'all would agree that prayer accomplishes something? That, that's a better use of time. You might get a return on that investment. It takes the same amount of energy, by the way, and it's a whole lot less stressful. In fact, prayer is proven. There's a correlation between people who pray and good health. I wonder why. Maybe it's because they don't spend their life worrying about things and hurting their heart and their stomach and their sleep. 
Honor God today by praying about the concerns that you're tempted to worry about tomorrow. If you honor God with your today, rather than worrying about something, you'll look and see how scripture applies to your situation and just obey what the scripture says. And listen, here's the truth. Even if honoring God with today doesn't fix your troubles, I can promise you it's a much better use of your energy than worrying would be. Two conclusions. Honor your God with your today. Trust him with your tomorrow. Verse 34, at first, kind of the way it's worded, maybe we don't totally understand what it's saying. It took me a minute. But verse 34 is probably my favorite verse in the whole passage. Look at verse 34. Take therefore no thought, so no anxieties, no worries about tomorrow. For the morrow should take thought for the things of itself, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. What is Jesus saying? He's saying that worrying about tomorrow's troubles is useless because tomorrow is simply a figment of our imagination. How many times have you all worried about something that you were worried would happen and the day came and went and it didn't happen? Anyone want to join me on that? I found myself worrying about stuff this week that would happen. It didn't happen. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, every one of us, this is what it means, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. He says, every one of us, we have a God-given quota of the type of burdens and stresses we are built to bear. You know, there's, there's a certain payload that certain equipment and manufacturing can handle, right? Just got a dolly yesterday. I don't know how, why it took me so long in my life to buy a dolly. That's something you need like every other week. Not some of you are all worried because I bought a little Barbie dolly. That's not what I bought. I bought, you know, the hand truck dolly, okay? I bought that. Those all have a payload, right? They tell you how much stress you can put on that frame. And Jesus is saying that you and I have a certain payload. We, we are not created by God to handle the stresses of today and tomorrow. It exceeds your quota, it's higher than your payload capacity. What Jesus is saying is you cannot worry about tomorrow. All you can worry about today. Today has enough trouble. How many of us would agree with that? Today's got enough trouble. Let's just figure out today and let tomorrow take care of itself. That's what Jesus is saying. So honor God with your today. Deal with today's troubles today. If you need to do something today that affects your tomorrow, go ahead and do it, okay? Jesus is not advocating irresponsibility. But here's what Jesus is saying. When it comes to tomorrow's troubles, leave it to God. Trust him. Because while you have no control over your future, God does. You are not sovereign and you are not all powerful, but somebody agree with me that God is. He has all power. Tomorrow may be a figment of your imagination. You don't know how it's going to happen, but we know God knows everything and he knows exactly how tomorrow is going to happen. And so Jesus says, just let God figure out tomorrow, you figure out today. Honor God with your today and trust him with your tomorrow. This year, make a resolution to stop worrying about things you can't control. It's a waste of energy. And not only is it a waste of energy, it'll hurt you. There are people who've dropped dead from heart attacks because they were incessant warriors. There are people who have ulcers because they're incessant warriors. 
There are people here who take an hour and a half to fall asleep because you are an incessant worrier. When a worry pops into your head, ask yourself three questions. Would the greatest giver stop giving? Would the one who gave me life not take care of my life's troubles? Ask yourself, aren't I more valuable than creatures who don't have a worry in the world? And then ask yourself a third question. What is my worrying accomplishing? I think it's a good idea this year to propose to yourself that you stop worrying about things you can't control. And instead, here's what you do. Take all of that energy, all of that energy, and pour it into honoring God with today. When your mind takes a path of worry, redirect it on a path of prayer. Hey, if you're worried about money, instead of worrying about it, because I ain't doing anything, revisit your budget. Look at your bank account. Do something productive. Honor God with your today. You're worried about that person? Pray for him, because your worrying isn't doing anything for him. Honor God with your today, and recognize you have a payload capacity that you should not exceed, and science has proven that it's not a good idea. The medical effects are clear. Some of us have exceeded our payload capacity. We need to honor God there today and trust him, trust him with tomorrow. Today's trouble's enough. Got enough on my plate for today. I'm just gonna worry about today because that's all God has equipped me to handle. I'll let him figure out tomorrow. I think one way you and I can honor God with our today, I mean today, like Sunday, December 31st, 2023, is we can spend a moment in prayer before you even leave the service. Some of y'all are like, oh, good idea, I should pray. But you're, here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna walk out and you're gonna have lunch and you're gonna be really full and you're gonna take a nap and you're gonna forget about praying. I think you have a better chance of praying out there if you take a second and pray in here. So I want Shelby to come up. She's gonna play for a moment. Every one of you have something that's taking up mental space. Every one of you, I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. And right now, your pride, and maybe even Satan himself is gonna say, come on, man, you don't need to pray right now. He's just trying to get you to do something. No, sit down. Bow your head at your chair and just take a moment and pray about it. You're like, I don't know how to pray. Hey, I'll, let me help you. I felt that way a lot, more often than you think and more recently than you think. Here's my default prayer and I don't know how to pray. God, could you please figure this thing out and help me to trust you, you're gonna figure it out? I think God's okay with that one. That's a lot better prayer than worrying. So take that thing Filter through your worry-crushing questions and honor God with your today and just pray about it. Just for a moment. I want to give you a moment in your seat to pray about the things that are occupying your mind this morning.